Good man. Everybody well. like the book? Yeah. yeah. I think for the sake of our <coughs> viewers, let's go around and introduce ourselves. We'll only do this this week. Uh, let's start with the big man, and we'll start with the smart man. Man. <laughs> I guess the mic isn't going on. He's just going to introduce Sorry, us. Yeah. yeah. Okay, go ahead. Somebody reach over and mute his mic, please. <laughs> yeah, my name is Daniel Hickenbotham. I am uh, the pastor who is responsible for worship and prayer here at Christ Community Church. And uh, I am the biggest of the crew, as Jeff pointed out. Biggest mind. <laughs> biggest mind. Strongest. And biggest heart. Maybe biggest uh, head, too, although <laughs> you and I... Uh, <laughs> we're, we're we're going yeah, we're, yeah, we're going we'll this battle out, for that one. Yeah. Uh, Jeff Kennedy, um, PhD in demon, and uh, <laughs> no, just uh, this is the test. What did you say <laughs> in that sermon? I don't really don't care about what's on my wall. <laughs> I am the senior pastor at Christ Community Church, and uh, I'm happy to be here to chat with you guys as we always do on a Monday, and that's it. My name is Josh Hoy, um, high school diploma, and I'm interning <laughs> <laughs> under our youth pastor, Ryan, over here, um, and these lovely men. Uh, pastor James Peterson, I'm the pastor at Ryrie Chapel, been out there for six and a half years, and it's mm. my humble privilege to be invited to this conversation. Mm. Love the humility. I'm just Pat. <laughs> it's Pat. It's Pat. <laughs> no, Patrick, pastor of discipleship and outreach missions, uh, whatever else. <clears throat> needs to fit under that title. My name is Ryan Patty, and I oversee our youth and family ministries, one of the pastors here. Great. All right, great to have you guys. Uh, Strange New World is the book that we're going to be talking about over the next uh, few weeks. Don't know how long, but uh, we'll get through it. Uh, the subtitle, How Thinkers and Activists Redefined Identity and Sparked the Sexual Revolution. So uh, I guess what I'd like to do just firstly and foremostly is get your first impressions. I'd like to hear <clears throat> what your impressions of the book were and what you thought the big thought or what you think the big thought was uh, from, from the book or from the opening chapter. And What's the thesis of the book? Daniel? I, uh, I, list, I audiobooked this when I was uh, walking uh, last or during the summer and uh <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> the uh, there's a mute button. I should have just used that. <laughs> Why don't you use it? Uh, in a way, I think it's a it's a post kind of a an autopsy, a post mortem of of how we got to where we're at in our society right now. Mm -hmm. uh, looking at some of the the you know the different philosophies that have leached into the culture that formed and and um, whether consciously or subconsciously formed the culture, and uh, I think it's a pretty I think it's a pretty good, uh, uh, good diagnosis. A good his uh, his end conclusion um, is strong. So yeah. Yeah, great. I think very, very far or early on in the book, he redefines this phrase "how thinkers and activists" by describing it as the genealogy of thought that led to the sexual revolution. So whether mm -hmm. the culture is aware of it or not, philosophers through centuries past influence this culture today. And it's a progression. Right. It's been a natural progression that has started long ago. This isn't a new phenomenon, right. and we need to discover it. Uh -huh. So th that's my great takeaway. It's fascinating to see where how we got here. And I think, yeah. Good Sorry. insight. Great insight. I think what he's also trying to highlight is that 
much of culture is often downstream from the academy. And right. so many people haven't even read or interacted with um, lots of these thinkers, yet it affects the so-called elite in the academy who then are teaching the masses and that it infiltrates over time the rest of culture, society, all the above. Great insight. <coughs> Great insight. Pastor James. Yeah, I, I really appreciate the book. I mean, he starts off with the, co- the question, how did it become normal for a man to say, I'm a man trapped in a woman's body? Right. And that opening question is so relevant because I have so many conversations with people nowadays in the church asking, how do we get here? Yeah. <clears throat> what happened? You know, it looks, it seems like they went to bed, they woke up and all of a sudden, you know, uh, not only is gay marriage acceptable, but then you have transgender ideologies just taking over. And so he does an excellent job of explaining how we got here, right? but presenting it in a way that doesn't lament or wallow in it, mm. but helps us as a church, as Christians, then engage culture in a positive, redemptive way. I, I think that's the key. The key is understanding how we got here, but then what do we do with it? Mm-hmm. What do we do with our knowledge of this? And then how do we engage the culture? Mm-hmm. Like you said, in a way that's redemptive and not uh, just condemnation, right? right? Uh, Josh, your insights. Yeah, similar to what James says, um, I just found it super interesting. Um, when I like look at the culture um, and the societal norms of today, you know, it just seems like it came out of nowhere. Um, it was just like, you know, yeah, we hit 20th right. century and then it was just there. But it's cool because he articulates um, kind of a timeline of how, um, I guess, secular thought progressed um, to where it is now. Um, and I think as Christians, it gives us um, being able to see that timeline um, and how, how thought has changed over time gives us a, a better way of approaching it when we're evangelizing um, or trying to talk about um, where, truth com- where truth comes from, what identity is or where we find morality. That's so. terrific. And yeah. <clears throat> I think that's really important as well to recognize because Josh is a young man who's 20, 21, somewhere in there, and he's saying this is a shock for him as well. Yeah. yeah. Right? Good point. Yeah. Most of his peers wouldn't say that. Yeah, we have people in our churches from past previous generations. We can only imagine. Josh grew up in a Judeo-Christian home, values, all of that, and yet th- those who are older in the church from previous generations are – if he's surprised by it, they're shocked, probably wondering what in the world to do. Yeah. It's, it's actually something I wish he had talked about more, but it goes to the, the concept of worldview, which is another thing that's f- quickly falling out of f- fashion. Right. Time. Uh, most people are intensely unaware, uh, shockingly unaware of what their own worldview is, right. and they don't realize how their worldview has been formed and shaped by, uh, by, you know, ivory tower academics yeah. and the way that it has trickled down right. and all of a sudden they wake up one day and they go how are things the way that things are yeah. whether that's personally or, or right. societally and I wish he'd focused a little more on that hmm. um, when he got to his solution portions because yeah. um, he does a great job like I said you know chopping up okay how did how did we land here but not equipping people to say okay how do you examine your worldview sure. to ensure that it is in, in yeah. line with with Biblical, you need biblical another source view. for that. You need the book yeah. Total Truth by Nancy Piercy that gives a really mm. academic, bo- accessible view of how you develop a world. And it just so happens I'm going to be doing a class on it. Oh, <laughs> here we go. Great. Awesome. Uh, but I think if you read this book, 
I don't know if you guys agree. It, there's something to the effect where he presents authenticity as the god of our age. Mm. Yeah. And that's what everyone serves, the god of authenticity. He'll the god of the authentic self. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's more defined, yeah. that to be the authentic self is to be good, righteous, holy in this culture's paradigm. Yeah. And um, so that's why he gives a great example somewhere in the book that this is why we are more apt to vote for an authentic politician, one who may cuss or who presents a rough exterior, whether either side of the aisle. We're more apt to vote for that because that's an authentic person. That's who we really are behind the scenes. Yeah. So we value that. That's a value of the age. Yeah. Well, uh, great. All all right answers. I think all of you guys have got some great insights there. I I felt like uh, in answer to the question that you sent us, Patrick, uh, what's the value of this book? Why is it a must read? I, I think for all of the reasons you stated, but I think the main thing with it is it gives us historical perspective. Like Daniel was saying, people are not even aware today. People are not even aware of their worldview, like the air they breathe. But they also are not aware of the philosophical sources mm-hmm. of that worldview. Yeah. Like they, they couldn't tell you the way I think is reflecting the writings yeah. of Karl Marx or mm-hmm. Friedrich Nietzsche or Oscar Wilde. Like they couldn't tell you that no but it's it's just baked into the cake yeah. of self-perception today yeah and it's because he he notes in the book i think what he does a great job of is noting really this is the result of academics and activists so there it, there's the academic side of it which you guys noted but then there's also the political side of it there's just the political machine that is mm. kind of created yeah uh this drive towards this revolution and our understanding of what is a self, mm-hmm. what does it mean to authentically express the self, mm-hmm. what does it mean to authentically express the self in sexual identity, mm-hmm. yeah. and then how do I reimagine what a human being is in social culture uh, as, a, as this new reimagined yeah. authentic yeah. self. And, <laughs> right? and it's interesting, it's because in those activists are, uh, it seems like, are being hyper intentional with the theories coming out of the academy, yeah, uh, more so than than most anybody is in their right. in their own normal life, and it's they're making those theories the worldviews, and it's and it's yeah. profoundly effective that yeah. we went from the 1960s where you would have been arrested for being on the beach in what some people wear on the beach today, right. <laughs> to a place where you know gay marriage is is totally acceptable, a man saying Applauded. that they're a woman is totally acceptable. Yeah. Um, and that's that's a that's one generation. I mean, that's yeah. one one person's lifespan. Um, mm. So, which I mean, I think it's worth defining right now. He he doesn't t- define sexual revolution as the pushing or the advancing of moral boundaries. Right. It's the repudiation of there even being boundaries or something to conform to. That's right. That's the main issue that's uh, on the table. And and then p- so Patrick, how does he define um, what a moral boundary is? What would be a sexual moray? or a sexual moral boundary according to a Christian Judeo-Christian worldview. Well, it's something external being forced upon me. Yeah. So that in anything external, because if authenticity is the major value, the authentic self is what you feel, experience, desire, needs to be expressed. Therefore, anything external being pressed upon you, that is ba- bad, wrong, or evil. And that comes from Freud. I and mean, we'll get into the, in the sure. future topics yeah. of who those come from. Yeah, yeah. But that started in the philosophical because world. Because it causes you to deny those desires within. You know what I mean? It's right. the external pressure, those pressures outside, society, 
God's law, anything like that, are causing you to deny what you feel on the inside. Yeah. Right. Therefore, it cannot be good. Well, this is the key, then. The key, as I pointed out in my sermon a couple weeks ago, is that if identity is formed or if identity is defined by my personal feelings and desires... Okay, so I want to ask you this question. Two questions. One, <clears throat> if fundamentally I am whatever I feel like I am or whatever I desire... Mm. internally then what is the limiting principle in other words if if that's now the the social ethic what is to stop a pedophile let's just say hypothetical um from saying listen i feel like i'm in love with a seven-year-old boy mm-hmm. <laughs> and a 25 year old man having intercourse with a Mm. seven-year-old boy or having Mm. a marriage relationship with a seven-year-old boy, what is now the limiting principle if now the new self is grounded (laughs) or anchored Mm -hmm. in what I feel, what I desire? What's the limiting principle? What's the constraint? There's technically none. And so this is what Freud, and he gets into this, this is what Freud ran into. Freud despised Christianity, but he couldn't get rid of it because he had no way to tether from the abomination of human desires. Right. So he even recognized, I can't divorce myself ultimately from an external boundary that is placed upon people. Mm. But now we live in an age beyond Freud that wants to get rid of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's fully realized. So and, you're right. And, there is and you're right about that, but they haven't thought through. They haven't really thought through to the consequences conclusion. of they getting rid of Judeo-Christian yeah. value system. Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, of, of truly jettisoning it. it uh, on that worldview, to, to ground your identity, the true authentic self, and your feelings and your desires, then I should be able to add the P to the LGBTQ. Mm. Yeah. There's yeah. nothing to stop me from doing that. As of now, not, the only not, thing is consent. Consent. Yeah. It's, it's map, minor, adi- right. minor yeah. attracted person. Yeah. yeah. It's redefining it. <coughs> right, but then, yeah. but then, right, so consent, that, that's, uh, that's another issue. Um, what if I desire that relationship without consent? Now, what's the constraining? Well, principle? and and here's the thing: what <laughs> yeah. if, what if I? Who's to say consent is a constraining? It principle? seems like the only and thing that would push back is that other person's autonomous self within, you know, behind the, the consent. That's so the that's not, the last. If boundary. their self is saying no, that's the last boundary. Well, yeah. and that's usually and that's usually what uh, people in society say: Hey, like you're 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 allowed to do whatever you want as long as it doesn't impact me. One of the things that's going to happen is is you already see people identifying as trans speci- species. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, a lion doesn't give a crap about your consent. Yeah. <laughs> and so if I identify Don't as a lion crap. and my desire is to do something to you, well, yeah. then because that's my fully actualized self. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that is going to be the next frontier yeah. of, hey, I'm no longer ba- restricted by social mores in any sense because I'm not a human. Mm. Don't you think, though, that this eventually just has to burn itself out? <laughs> like there's no way... There's no fuel for this thing to live on. There's nothing that grounds it. There's no, because there's no yeah. source of morality. I think eventually, but for me, yeah. in Doesn't my mind, it, it gets worse before it gets better. Uh, yeah, sure. yeah. I mean, yeah. sure. Yeah, you're right. It'll yeah. get worse before it gets better. But James. Well, and as he dis- he discusses, I mean, this is coming to an head ahead. You think of even the tension between feminism and gay ideology, and then feminism and transgenderism, it's, it's crazy to me and to us that mm-hmm. you now have feminists being forced to accept transgender men in women's sports right. beating women. Mm-hmm. 
eventually that's going to come to a head. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, if you push yeah. back against it, you get, you get what happens to J.K. Rowling where she gets mm-hmm. death threats. Right. right. And because and she's just recognizing biology. Right. Canceled, you know, even though she's, she's a, a classical she's feminist. A, no, yeah. she's a third wave mm-hmm. femi- oh, yeah. feminist. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. <coughs> uh, Carl Truman, in an interview that I watched with him, he brought up the idea. Someone asked him a question about that very issue. Mm. And and he's he uh, he apparently is a coach for like a rugby team. And he and he said, can you imagine? His answer was, can you imagine that transgender mm-hmm. men wanted to play transgender women in rugby? He goes, mm-hmm. it would be absolute carnage. Mm-hmm. It would be beyond carnage. Now, imagine that in the NFL. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I worked for a couple of seasons for the Seattle Seahawks at their training camp. Mm. Find something <coughs> new out every day. What, what, what in the world? What haven't you done, <laughs> Jeff? <laughs> and, uh, He's done all of our jobs. <laughs> and, uh, he can sing and dance. <laughs> pop and lock. He's got a, a, a healing evangelist ministry. Yeah. <laughs> and I every pulled people out of wheelchairs. Yes. <laughs> they were not healed. I had to help them back into their wheelchairs. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> at the training camp, when you see these guys walk in, mm-hmm. they're human freight trains. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, a 280-pound, six-foot-five guy mm-hmm. uh, would. Uh, there is no woman on earth that could withstand, even in the, even in training, just mm-hmm. even in practice, mm-hmm. uh, getting hit full speed by one of these human freight trains. So there just there are things we know are just part of our ontological reality. These mm-hmm. things are. <laughs> there really are these differences. Mm. And so Truman was just trying to point out, um, in reality, there's there we we have to draw lines. Mm. We have to draw lines for people's safety. We have to draw lines for people's health, and I would say for their mental health as well. Yeah. Um, let me ask you another question, <coughs> because he brings this up in the book, and we'll get into this in 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 further chapters uh, as we get into the book. But how is it possible? How has it become possible for a person? Let's use the trans thing because that's such a flashpoint in our culture today. So how has it become possible in this culture for a person to claim that they are a male trapped in a female body? What are the streams? What are the things that have led to uh, that statement being felt by some to be a real statement, to, be, to actually uh, conform to their their self-perception their self-perception conforming to reality how is that even possible in this culture are you asking what dominoes needed to fall yeah well Truman I mean Truman does that in the book but I think uh, I think some of the some of the big ones are um, oh well my brain just I'll come back to me (coughs) sure I, I think the first it begins with the disintegration of the familial structure yeah. of understanding roles complementarian we live in an egalitarian world and such that all once people began to see men and women are exactly the same or, or in some ways it, yeah that that's the precipice that we went over and it goes down that's what i was going to say the concept of social construct and the empowering of that concept, because there are certainly social constructs, and, and mm-hmm. for sure you don't want to deny that. But and there are gender constructs making 
put, putting all things under the category of social construct. This right. was a socially contrived and, and subject pure subjectivity. And it's, it's all purely subjective, subjective yeah. to, to that context. Means that I am you know that that we are able to uh, delegitimize mm-hmm. those things mm-hmm. yeah. and say, oh, then then really, I mean, and and some of it's rooted in in our fierce independence as we you know. Sure. As Americans, if if somebody tells you you can't do something, what's your your default like? You know, your yeah. default state is be like, oh well, I'll show you, and I'll go do yeah. it. And so, if if you see these social constructs as binding and restrictive, and uh, you want to revolt against that, yeah, there's there's actually incentive in us mm-hmm. from you know culturally to it, it's noble for us to revolt. Right. It's noble for us to rebel, right. and uh, and so yeah, so that so empowering the concept of social construct yeah. Yeah. to incorporate more than what it actually incorporates. What is about part of it. the philosophy though of power relationships? <laughs> well, I think uh, again, th- there's some legitimacy mm-hmm. in the concept of power relationships. Sure. Mm-hmm. You go back to we're doing some premarital counseling with with people. And uh, you go back to Genesis, and one of the consequences of the fall is that there is now a, yeah. a power, uh, and and uh, and power is now used to dominate. the The man now will rule over the wife, and the wife will want to usurp the man. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And so now, instead of there being this uh, these con- these complementarian harmony harmony, there's now a power struggle. So that's rooted. I mean, that's rooted in the in oh. in the fall, and so it's a legitimate thing. But if you, but again, when you uh, make that the totality of human relationships yeah. within society, every relationship is now defined as a power over or mm-hmm. or a subject or a subjugation, subjugation too. Relationship. Yeah. Um, and and so again, you've taken these you've taken these categories that are are good and right and helpful, and you've blown them out to incorporate more than what they can actually. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's Stewart. important. You're you're asking the question of you know how did the dominoes fall? How did we get here? Just piggybacking off of Daniel's first answer concerning social construct. Not only they're tying it further even back, right? So they're putting whatever norms we say are in those social construct, but then they're putting the idea of objective truth itself right. in the social construct, depending right. on the philosopher you're reading. But when you throw in truth itself in there. The only thing you have left in one sense is yourself. Is your own subjective yeah. feeling. Because nothing outside can have, everything mm-hmm. else is a social construct. So there cannot be any external authority to you. Correct. To bestow yeah. or confer upon you. Yeah. Your definition, your mm-hmm. identity, your function, and yeah. your purpose. Yeah. Which is completely antithetical to Yeah, but the irony, in order to get that, you have to look at those values as objective. So in yeah. promoting subjectivity everywhere you have to hold on to objectivity in my statement. Yeah, right. And, and that's, it's a competing interest. Yeah. It's ultimately and untenable. And everybody acts as though their truth is objectively, tot- true. Is objectively mm-hmm. true. They base their life on it. I have a, I have a family member who right. has yeah. some really tremendously odd theological views. And there's moments where it just must be like, man, you may be able to defend that biblically. Like you may be able to yeah. defend it theologically, but you don't believe that mm. <laughs> because you you raise your family yeah. in such a fashion mm-hmm. that you believe that there are category there that you know that gender is not a social construct that there yeah. are fundamentally in, intrinsic you know aspects to right. it and and, right. and ontological reality you 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 know you you raise them uh, in, in a, in a heteronormative words, you know right. 
culture. And so though you could defend these things to me, your objective reality is this. In yeah. other words, you, you can't fully live according to your worldview. Otherwise, the seeds of your worldview's undoing are actually in your worldview. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they really are. Let me ask you this question. What about technology? Because he raised the issue of technology 120 years ago. If you if you went to a doctor and you said, I think I'm a woman trapped mm. in a man's body, the doctor would prescribe mental health because he could do nothing else mm. but give you a mental health prescription. There was nothing medically that could be done. You could not take hormone blockers. You couldn't take uh, either testosterone blockers or testosterone boosters. You couldn't go get a surgery. But now technology, with the advent of this mind-boggling technology that we have and the quickness of it, the ease of it, the anonymity of it, has now made it possible for someone to potentiate or to realize what they think is their inner self. So what about, is technology a bad thing or... Is technology just being used for a bad purpose? Here? No, so I think, and Nancy Piercy says this more in her book on Toll Truth and Worldview, but the advancement of our culture is always looking at ways to use technology, invention, um, cunning, to undo the effects of the curse or whatever natural consequence God has put in place. And so I think technology yeah. is just another tool in the hand of sinful people to help undo the natural consequences of living counter to God's way and will. Well, we hmm. think about all of the amazing, mm-hmm. miraculous technology. I think about Dr. Gary Gronwald, who just had a surgical procedure in which it just uh, cured him mm-hmm. of this uh, this heart condition mm-hmm. that just causes his heart to just take off racing like a racehorse, and it's just caused him misery, and now it's gone. And so I, on the one hand, you want to say, thank God mm-hmm. <laughs> for brilliant minds yeah. in modern medicine uh, because they are so useful. They are yeah. so helpful in the flourishing of the human being. But when technology is then taken and yeah. applied for the purpose now of yeah. of assaulting the image-bearing properties of the <laughs> image-bearer, now we've got a problem. Yeah. James, how do you feel about that? <coughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. Um, as I'm As I'm listening, I just think, you know, a lot of this, we don't want to reduce it to just saying sin is the problem. You know, when we think about technology, technology is fine. It's not the issue. The issue is sinful people, sinful hearts. And a lot of the problem with expressive individualism originates from a denial of total depravity, um, that they're, that we're intrinsically good. Therefore, what I search within myself should be good and it should be helpful and it should be pursued. Um, but obviously biblically we approach that and say, that's by no means right. Uh, the heart is desperately wicked. The intentions of our heart are evil continually from our youth. So it kind of breaks my heart when we talk about it, because you think about people in that situation where they're just pursuing what's inside of them. Right. I, biblically, we know what's inside mm-hmm. of us. How yeah. destitute and broken must that lead them to? Just yeah. a total wrecked life. Well, that's such a great point, because we're, we're not just dealing with an image bearer creating in the image created in the image of God. We're dealing with an image bearer that has fallen in sin. Mm-hmm. And so, as Daniel was saying, there are just some other realities that are now baked into the cake. Mm-hmm. There are some real consequences. Yeah. And, and these are realities. These are things that we have to deal with. So, mm. so for example, I come from a long line of Irish drunks. And um, <laughs> so... 
uh, I, I do s- struggle with the desire for alcohol, which so I, I probably don't drink more than a couple, three beers a year and never more uh, than one at the same time, almost never. So I would say knowing my past, knowing what is probably for me a genetic predilection for that, mm. the fact that I feel like I want one or 10 or 100 uh, as Daniel would say, <laughs> I didn't or want all one of them, drink. Yeah. I wanted all the drinks. Um, the fact that I desire that doesn't legitimize my desire. Mm-hmm. The fact that I want that or yeah. I feel like I should have that doesn't. It, a desire never is never legitimized just because I have it. Mm-hmm. Because my desire might be coming out of a sure. sinful impulse. Mm-hmm. And, this car- is where and this is where you can actually hold... Two con- totally conflicting philosophies and or uh, and worldviews. I uh, I'm a recovering alcoholic and and uh, have a really dear friend who's homosexual. And part of our conversation once was, do you believe that you have desires that should be repulsed, mm-hmm. that should be uh, uh, resisted? And you ask him about, um, you know. Uh, his his drug use and his alcohol use and he says yeah absolutely i think i was born an alcoholic i think uh you know and i think that it's my responsibility now to refrain from engaging in that mm-hmm. and then if you say okay do you think you were born gay and he says yeah and god doesn't make mistakes mm-hmm. and you right. go wait a minute there's <laughs> there's you were born with the crab gene <laughs> which yeah. makes you want every drink in the world there's there's a con- there's a conflicting so mm-hmm. you know I'm, I'm not trying to say whether you're born no. gay or maybe whatever but you have the same attitude about the same thing, and in one case, it's God's perfect design, and in another case, it should be resisted. It's philosophical and dishonesty in some way. What you're yeah. saying, you can't hold to it at one point and well, not across the board. And what's the standard? What's the uh, what's the standard that you that you judge which should be embraced and which should yeah. be rejected? It's totally internal. Yeah. Yeah. Totally well, Descartes, Descartes, I think he says in this book, "I think, therefore, I am famous." Mm-hmm modern days i feel therefore it is mm-hmm. and that's the disposition exactly. of people exactly. i feel therefore it must be true and yeah. the righteousness of, of what you're doing is gauged by your own intention yeah and not by the actual consequence or, right. or result of it mm-hmm. so josh uh now that you're working with the youth as an intern here ha- have you seen some of these attitudes just sort of uh, baked into how the kids think today mm. just things that you you run into where you go ah that's so obviously has has come into has just absorbed into their thinking from the secular world. Do you see this among youth? I do um, in a few different ways, but probably the most uh, apparent that I've noticed is when I'm talking with students about God's sovereignty, um, and when we're talking about it um, and how God can have complete control over all of the circumstances in our world and in our life, um, and yet we're still held responsible for our actions. Um, they can grasp the logical um, explanations that I can give them or another leader can give them. Um, and yet I know there's a few of them in particular that will still reject the idea yeah. simply because um, it, they don't like it. Yeah. Hmm. It just it conflicts with something inside of them. Yeah. yeah. It, it conflicts mm-hmm. with something inside of them, but then they live in a culture yeah. where they go to school or whatever and whatever's inside of them is just reaffirmed. It's just reaffirmed whatever's mm-hmm. inside of you. Yeah. However you feel, that's who mm-hmm. you are. Let's talk for a second. Let's switch gears. Talk about prosperity. 
prosperity. He doesn't bring this much up in the book that I could tell, but I think he's talked about it in several interviews that I've watched. And that is how has our extreme prosperity contributed, uh, is, is a contributing factor to people sure. having the leisure to explore or reimagine so stuff like affluence, comfort, yeah. relative peace that we live in, Pax Americana, something like that. Is yeah. that yeah. what you're asking? Okay. Yeah, in the in his bigger book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, he talks about his grandpa or his grandpa's, you know, dad. They didn't have time to mm-hmm. to really think about some of these things. Right. Um, right. They were they were working hard, and you know, if you asked him, did you find fulfillment in your job? Did you? find satisfaction, he, he argues that he might not even understand the question, right? He was thinking in terms of provision right. and his responsibilities as a father, as a husband. Um, but now everything food is... food on the table, totally. roof over yeah, your head, and clothes on your I'm, back. I'm that getting it done. I, I don't think about if I enjoy it or not, right? But now right. everything is, do it, you enjoy it? Do you find satisfaction, right? Prosperity allows you to ask those questions. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's reasons that Jesus gives warnings to the rich that we need to hear in America as well. Um, cause I think it affects, you know, exactly. everything from time to how we even think about discipleship to, right. you what's, know, so many other things. What's the most things. common phrase you hear on advertisements, whether it's on TV, on YouTube, phone, what, what do you hear? Way. Have it hmm. your way. You deserve this. You, deserve yeah, you can experience this. Yeah. It's all advertised to get, yeah, I do. And what's it, and hmm. what also is interesting is our state of affluence has actually introduced a technology and made a technology ubiquitous that other, I mean, it's only mm-hmm. been around. the The iPhone was in, was introduced in two thousand and seven, and in two thousand and ten, the majority of Americans have a smartphone. Right. Mm-hmm. In three years, a technology that gave you unlimited access to an unlimited number yeah. of people right. proliferated through a culture. And so, <laughs> where uh, your grand, you know, his grandpa yeah. working on a farm had a had a, a sphere of of influence on him yeah. of. 10 people maybe mm-hmm. yeah you know now there are limitless it is thousands and thousands and thousands and i think it actually talking with some of the youth i think it actually uh it's exacerbated it. well it's exasperated but it, it it's so overwhelming mm. because now you have to process the legitimate legitimacy of ten thousand pieces of advice instead yeah. of 10. Yeah. Oh, so, right so on this that. note this weekend we were down in salt lake ryan and i and we were with dr wellham <coughs> And he gave this interesting talk that the Tower of Babel and scattering the people was a preventative grace measure by God because mm-hmm. it limited the cultural decay to mm-hmm. certain pockets. Yeah. And so now with the advent of the in- Internet, um, the communication style, mm-hmm. that moral decay can now spread upon culture upon culture faster than ever before. And it's a fascinating Which is reality. interesting wow. because the Tower of Babel, if you think about that, that was humanity using technology in an immoral oh fashion. Oh, yeah, you're right. That's right. Yeah. I didn't think about that. To build a, a yeah. tower to heaven, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, oh. Ascend to the gods. Hmm. Exactly right. Well, great. All great insights. Uh, so essentially what technology, I hmm. think right around the 1940s, 1950s, with the post-war generation, created the cult of leisure. Mm-hmm. And every American is just born into the cult of leisure. One of the most fascinating documentaries I've ever seen is on the history of cereal. <laughs> Prior to the industrialization of America, cereal didn't exist. No one got up and ate a bowl of cereal. But now everybody gets up and thinks, well, I have to have this cereal. Well, mm. that's because companies, and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, uh, 
designed the product to tell you absolutely have to have this. You absolutely need this. This is this is what starts your day. And so we just can't even imagine how our lives or how anyone lived without it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's because it's just become so much a part of our culture. And I think leisure, there are a few people in the church that do remember this. They do remember growing up on that farm mm. and working the tractor yeah. all day. And James can speak they a even bit had a tr- yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have a farm boy here. And uh, But just, just living, not, not, to, not to make a living, but just living. Yeah. Like yeah. working to live, yeah. working to just put food on the table today. And so you think about now we have all this margin in our time and in our schedule, all this mm. leisure time and... People live off of government money, and they, you know, and mm. so now we have all this leisure time to just sit around and imagine what 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 kind of personal destiny uh, do I want? What kind of personal mm. destiny do I want for me? And then we have this culture that's designed these industries and all these little magical pieces yeah. of technology, sensate technology, to reinforce that, yeah. and t- and to allow me to click a button and realize a new reality. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. it's almost like we're living in the book of revelation just joking um <laughs> well it, it's it, it's interesting the the even the title of this book strange new world is a reference to the the book by aldous huxley brave, brave new, new world, world. Yeah. and in brave new world it is this dystopian picture of people who have too much time on their hands right. yeah. because they've used technology to engineer humanity in such a fashion that they there's you know yeah uh, and <laughs> it's the story of the basically the the hatred of this woman's life living in yeah. this state of total constant euphoria constant entertainment constant mm-hmm. you know recreation but then what does it produce i mean we have the highest levels of depression and suicide mm-hmm. and and just uh dysphoria yeah. and all of these anxiety disorders we have it more than we've yeah. ever had it and we have more than we've ever had yeah, more prosperity. That's exactly what I was thinking. If you bring this all full circle, you have the greatest prosperity we've ever seen, right? And you have people who have greater access to see others' prosperity, yep. and it naturally produces doctrine of sin, coveting, right? So coveting. they covet, yeah. and mm-hmm. they still can't get it, so they start to blame others, right? right? And then it leads to the depression, anxiety, right? Coveting is at the root of so much. So um, many people on social media, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, it, it is very natural for us to want to present a curated self on social media, right? So what we do is we, we present ourselves uh, the best version of ourselves, mm-hmm. right? We, right? We present a version of ourselves that we want people to see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it's not the person that, that we necessarily are 70 to 80% of the time. We want people to see our best picture, pictures. Mm-hmm. And uh, see, doesn't this go into his topic? And yeah. he used it in the sermon. Why, why don't you define social imaginary? And give the the topic because he made up that phrase. He says it, but ultimately, it starts with the individual. Like you're saying, I have an, uh, who I imagine myself to be. I want to project that, but then culturally, that's happening. So give us hel- help us understand social imaginary. Well, we've talked about it a little bit, but essentially. I think the way he's defining a social imaginary, in my own words, this is just me. Um, th- this is just me uh, paraphrasing him. It, it is the person who is reimagining what a self is. Mm-hmm. They're just reimagining what a self is. So if you start with the self, right? What what is 
an identity. What is a soul? What is a person? Hmm. Right? Well, if that is determined by my desires and what I feel, then my highest priority is the actualization of that self, the actualization yeah. of that self-perception mm-hmm. now in some kind of social construct. Now, yeah. that works itself out in the sexual revolution, which is a culture-wide um, insurrection, a culture-wide insurgency against biblical and biological sexual norms. Yeah. Right Now, once you've got that in place, right, a culture that's thoroughly indoctrinated in this view of the world, as Daniel would say, now you've got a person who can just, who has the leisure, the prosperity, and the technology, the Mm. convergence of these things now, to just reimagine what a human being is. Mm -hmm. And so if I think that I am a kitten, Mm -hmm. or I think that I am uh, a trans person, Mm -hmm. that's how I feel. My highest priority is to express that it is a new sexual identity, and that just is now how I've reimagined my life. And yeah. so that's yeah. what I, th- where I think he's going. Yeah. Well, and yeah. I appreciate what he what he talks about how the concept of, of social imaginary is. We live intuitively in the world. Very seldom are we are we yeah, constantly yeah. you know rationalizing every decision that we make. We are responding to the yeah. stimuli mm-hmm. and and thinking about the philosophies. And in know. the past, and in the past, the goal has been, hey, you transform your mind you renew your mind you come to you come to a, a better understanding so that that intuition aligns better with with reality yeah. with principles of wisdom God's with, revelation right <laughs> and what's happened is the intuition has become the thing that you need to focus on mm-hmm. the, the intuition is now uh, the thing Great. that's supposed to to guide your whole you know your whole existence yeah. which demotes you to the level of an animal, mm-hmm. it's truly just an instinctual response to life. Yeah, and I um, mean, and there's yeah. there's a whole movement, you know, uh, called trust your gut, right? Mm-hmm. Anything that anybody has ever told you, like, if it goes against what your gut tells you, like, go, like, trust your gut. And yeah, there, it's true. God's given us intuition and all. Like, those are all, all all good things. But then they're taken to this extreme of that's the governing principle. Your yeah. instinct is your govern governing principle. Yeah. Well, when you're two years old, your instinct is to eat candy all day yeah. and never go to sleep, yeah. and it's terrible and for you. Yeah. I, I, he oh, hits yeah, on that a little bit with. <laughs> you got to get serious. Yeah, he hits on that a little bit with page twenty-two, and I was thinking in the exact same vein. You know, he asked the question. These are just general questions guiding the book. Is growing up a process not of learning restraint, but rather of capitalizing on oh. opportunities to perform? Great I mean, question. how many of us growing up are like, oh, I can't wait till I'm my parents' age. I can't wait right. till I'm 16. I have freedom, right? I can mm. go do all these things. And then, Lord willing, you become a adult. You're a believer. You, you know, husband, father. And I'm thinking, no, I don't want to go do all those things that I thought I would do. <laughs> I want to have like a healthy <laughs> restraint in light of God's word. This is one of the questions that I was thinking of as he's setting this book up is nobody, if you ask them in the church, nobody would ask them, is this your philosophy, expressive individualism? Mm-hmm. Do you, like, nobody would ask, would, would answer yes. Yeah. But how much has it crept into the church mm-hmm. that, say, my subjective feeling of worship determines my response totally. to it? Oh, Absolutely. Man, or my subjective feeling towards the sermon determines my response mm-hmm. man, to it. How much has that, yeah. yeah. During but Bible see, studies. Oh, you, during Bible studies, right? You read a passage and then you ask, "Well, how? Do, what do you feel about the passage?" 
What do you think about the passage? Oh, man. On that phrase, yeah. right? I feel that it says that at all. Yeah, I feel like <laughs> what Paul is saying here is... Okay, so here's what you feel. <laughs> I, I'm going to read a quote <laughs> on page 29, second paragraph, if you guys want to look at that. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of wrote it down here. It says, of course, the importance of social imaginary points to us, the fact that our, if our world has no simple, single cause, our problems, therefore, have no simple, single solution. The modern self is the fruit of a complicated confluence of cultural factors. I, is it true that there is no one single, simple solution? See, I, I kind of... Mm. I have a little bit of friction with this because I think the gospel yeah. is the simple solution to this. Is now, the gospel simple, though? The gospel's not simple, <sighs> but it's my process of communicating the gospel to people. So the gospel's I, not... I, I see what yeah. he's saying. So No, w- I hear what you're out. saying, and I think in principle you're right. I'm just saying... All I'm saying is I'm, I'm thinking about the people who don't know the gospel. They don't yeah. know the gospel story. They don't know the theology behind right. it. We talk about it literally every Sunday and every yeah, class and everything true. we do. So we kind of, that's the water we swim in, and we know where it's coming from. But to share with them the general contours of the story, mm. to say there is a creator God who made you in his image. Imagine saying that to Joe Rogan or <laughs> to his comedian friends or to people mm-hmm. who just don't share that worldly they think that's just nonsense that's crazy talk yeah. Joe you're welcome to join us whenever you want <laughs> yes um, but ima- imagine sharing that with a person who doesn't really really doesn't just share that worldview but yeah. they know about that worldview mm-hmm. and they don't believe it right so then you have to go into a little bit better explanation to say the statement in Genesis 1 26 and 27 and 28 that human beings, male and female, are created in the image of God. There are some reasons why we think this is true, and yeah. there's some reasons why the evidence shows yeah. that that's true, right? So then you got to get in a little bit more, I would say, maybe not complicated, but a little bit more nuanced sure. explanation of what we're talking about. What what Christian how to how to ground is. people who well, are ungrounded and greater discipleship. Yeah. Yeah. But then the you talk about the fall, right? So yeah, then you, that's where I was you going. say, listen, <clears throat> that image bearer fell into sin mm-hmm. and now every human being that is born into that line yeah every a, as james was saying the heart is desperately evil above all things it is it constantly craves what it doesn't have yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. it's coveting is the is the anchor sin of all sins and you're trying to explain this to a person this is really complex for them it is yeah. because the world yeah. in which they now live the, the the water in which they now swim is so anti-god and anti-biblical worldview yeah. That we're dealing with an explanation. We have to take some time, yeah. and then we have to explain it. And listen, this is the gospel of the kingdom, right? So this is not just the gospel of your personal Lord and Savior, yeah. Jesus Christ. This is the gospel of the kingdom. Why is that important? Because you want for, with everything in your heart to be your own master and Lord and God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and this is, so uh, this is important for the church to, to have a robust view of the gospel because when you truncate it down to your own self-actualization yeah. yeah which i asked somebody recently hey what's the gospel and primarily the answer was hey it's the good news that that jesus is going to save you from your non-self actualization mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, i mean what, like it really if you boiled it down is is sin the the terrible thing about sin is that it prevents you from being happy yeah and so <laughs> it's this presentation right. of right huh. and so if you if you boil the gospel down to happy your individual your individual salvation and your self-satisfaction, mm-hmm. you're you're importing some of the cultural. Yeah. Some, you're you're, you're yes. bringing cultural water into the boat, and you uh, 
the the gospel now becomes a, this is a solely individually like this only impacts the individual right. yeah this has no bearing mm. on public discourse yeah. there's no bearing on how institutions are formed and fashioned yeah. it has no bearing on law or justice it has no bearing on that's your personal private yeah value well, it system has no, it mm. has no bearing on how my marriage is to be surrendered to the gospel mm-hmm. and to be surrendered to the values of the gospel, yeah. right? And so it really starts there, and it's like, okay, yeah, then let's get a small group with other couples in it, mm. and let's all talk about how we surrender our marriages yeah. to the gospel. Like, it starts there. It starts in that family unit, and then it goes to other family units, and then a church unit, mm. a church, an assembly, a local assembly, where we're teaching people, listen, the gospel is not just about, now the gospel is about salvation. The, the, yeah. the Bible talks a lot about that. But the gospel is not just about you and your getting your personal yayas the in go- Jesus. The gospel is, like you love to say, it is a royal pronouncement that God's yes. just anointed ruler has come. Has and come. What, is his, what is his dominion? It, it, it's all creation. Uh, all, all, creation. Things. <laughs> all things. All things, <laughs> yeah. Starting um, with the human heart. Yeah. In, in salvation, of course. It's... Yeah. We have to understand that the gospel is the royal announcement (laughs) (laughs) that the world's rightful king has come and he has claimed, reclaimed his lost world. Hmm. And we are in that lost world. And the linchpin, actually the center of his activity, is to save humans in their lostness. Through the person and work of his son. Through Mm -hmm. the person and work of of the cross of Jesus and his cross and resurrection and from that now God is going to make all things new and so we mm-hmm. just have to be reminded that also is the gospel yeah. and that cures us mm-hmm. of leading a sexual and revolution so against biblical norms yeah so Truman is right that it is complex it is. That's, yeah. yeah that's where I was going yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because well, sin is complex and yeah. it's messy and oftentimes in our churches we don't have a good mm-hmm. doctrine of sin we don't understand but don't, don't we approach it as if we have the silver bullet hasn't the church always thought of whether well, different components yeah we can figure this out we solve this but they're just treating a symptom not the disease of culture what do you mean by that give me an mm. example of that so I, I would say all right we have um in culture people are living a life a homosexual life what's the solution well we should advocate for outlawing it in the church world that right. was going on in the early 2000s sure in california prop 8 oh yeah let's ban it that solved nothing. It's a, it's a silver bullet analogy in saying that if we just do this, it'll change. But the complex nature of the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, can discern the mind and know the heart and give each man according to his ways. Ooh, very good. All right, so very now nice. now I look at the Jeremiah 17. Mm-hmm. I need to pursue partnership with the Lord. Where is he directing us to advocate and mm-hmm. present the gospel? Because he alone knows the heart of man and how deceitfully wicked and it is. And to be fair, there are good things coming from upholding marriage with him. No, no doubt. Yeah, I'm not throwing out the baby out with the bathwater in in any capacity. Daniel, what are your feelings about that? (laughs) (laughs) You guys got another couple hours? (laughs) (laughs) Theonomy. Anyway. Well, in any case, (laughs) I I think you're right. I I think you're right. So I do think that there is a place for the public law because every law is a morality law. Sure. Every single one. Even traffic laws are morality laws. And... And the religion, <laughs> sorry, and the religion <laughs> of the sexual revolution <laughs> is politics. It, it's, poli- it's politics. It is, right. it is legislation. Yeah. Well, that's why he's saying it's academia and it's activists, yeah. right? It's the activists who are actualizing now what is being taught in our university systems uh, where our, our kids are being indoctrinated 
that they are just these fluid things. So yeah. I want to talk about that. If I can switch tracks. But, but I see, here's yeah. what, going back, just finishing my point up. The point is, if I go about banning those things, that's the symptom. The disease is the self-actualization, the yeah. desire that you are an authentic self, you're a God unto yourself. Right. Th that's, the gospel undoes that first and foremost, if he is our king. Yeah, so that's what I mean by it. It doesn't mean mm. don't do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the core disease is what we actually ought to focus on in our it's relationship I, with I think people. you're right. It's to go back to salvation now. The gospel is the message that brings us salvation. And when salvation comes to a person, that's how you cure the ills of the world. Mm -hmm. You it's cure it from the inside out. Yeah. You cure it one person at a time, not by just leading Christian political movements. The, the, I'm not. I'm not yeah. saying there's nothing wrong with advocating. Yeah, but they're not the policy. end all, the be all. Thing. That's yeah. what you're trying yeah. to say. But yeah. it was e and and the self actualization thing. I, I, I was thinking about this a second ago. Um, it's Eve's sin yeah. in the garden. She looks upon this thing that has not been given to her as mm. part of the the good creation. Crazy and she yeah. says, it, it, it looks good. It looks delightful for yeah. food mm. and for making me wise mm -hmm. and for, for, for mm. my own self-actualization. And so she took of it and ate. Right. And the justification is, did God really say? Mm -hmm. And yeah. that, that doubt opened up everything. That worldview changed. Maybe, maybe he didn't. Mm. Anyways. Right, right, to throw God's word, yeah. cast it into some question yeah. as to whether or not he actually said this. Uh, so if I could switch tracks just a second. What, so we talked about prosperity, we talked about technology, we talked about academia, we talked about all these things, that these streams that are coming into uh, creating a culture where someone can say, I'm a woman trapped in a man's body. Mm-hmm and actually believe, believe that that's true for them, mm -hmm. right? So then the question is, we, we, we haven't talked about one more thing, and that is atheism. Now, right now, there are many atheists, cultural atheists, political atheists, who seem to be on the side of the angels uh, with respect to, you okay? <laughs> Too much Dutch Brothers, man. Uh, where they seem to be on the side of the angels in terms of their anti-woke culture stance and i'm thinking of bill maher i'm thinking of ricky gervais i'm thinking of popular james lindsay james lindsay uh who's the guy from england doug murray D doug murray so i'm thinking of people who are not believers they do affirm some kind of agnosticism or atheism and their whole approach to this is to say listen there's a real biology here the biology is real and you can't deny the science <laughs> right so that's the direction or th that's the angle from which they are arguing. And I think we would say, thank you. Thank you for joining the cause. Mm -hmm. But it's all actually your fault. Yes. <laughs> and it's your fault because you taught people. Mm -hmm. you, the secular worldview supplanted mm -hmm. the Christian view of what a human being is, mm -hmm. yeah. which is that a human being is an image bearer of God by design and decree. Mm -hmm. meaning that God designed us to be in his image, and then he decreed us to be in his image, and he, then he designed us to live in the human vocation mm -hmm. of extending the project of Eden into the rest of the world, so on and so forth. But you've denied that, and now what you've got here, uh, uh, Daniel mentioned this earlier, now what you've got here is an animal. Mm -hmm. You have nothing but matter and mo. In fact, it's worse than that. You just have this... 
complex. Yeah, because there's no design to it. You know, we look yeah. at animals and clearly yes. we see that they have just design evolved. and purpose. It's and just right. evolution from something else. Right, right. So if the trans, and I'm trying to think of, you know, if the trans argument is I'm a female soul trapped in a male biological body, right? Mm-hmm. So the atheist is going to say, no, you're not a soul. No. You're, you're not a self. There, you, you aren't a self. You're just complex chemicals yeah. firing in a body. Yeah. You're just matter in motion, mm-hmm. right? Well, actually, the atheist doesn't have an argument because if, the, if it turns out that person actually is a soul and there are such things as female souls trapped in male bodies, mm-hmm. uh, then, the, then the atheist really doesn't have anything to stand on. Yeah, the mm-hmm. supernatural world yeah. is a uh, real thing. So as Christians, we want to <coughs> say, listen, I think we can come at this Mutually, I think we can be on the side of the angels here with with respect to helping people to understand they are not females trapped in male bodies. Mm -hmm. But our argument is that the reason is because there's no such thing as a female soul. Hmm. Femaleness and maleness is a function of biological design. Embodiment, yeah. So it just does, it literally, quite literally does not make any sense for you to say, I'm a female trapped in a male body because you are a male body. That's Mm -hmm. what maleness is, Mm -hmm. right? And so, so talk a little bit about what you think is the culpability hmm. of the atheist and secularist worldview in this, and just teaching people that they are nothing. They're, they're not anything but things. That's all they are. Yeah. yeah. Um, you, to relegate, <coughs> to, to create a, 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 a two-tiered view, to relegate uh, morality, God, Scripture, anything external that way to uh, the higher story that is only to be engaged in in a personal, in a, in a yeah. private, personal way. Devotional. Um, it does exactly what you're saying. It, it, it <coughs> makes, oh no, reality is only that which exists materially, mm-hmm. but we have no explanation for why it exists, so it's pure randomness. It's pure, it's, a, it's just a function of time and, and chance. And so that actually makes that you shouldn't be arguing against this. <laughs> right. You, you, their their brain is fizzing chemically in a different way than yours, and it's no less legitimate than your right. brain fizzing. And so you don't, shouldn't. Guys like uh, Bill Moore and Douglas Murray and they, I appreciate their, uh, I appreciate their involvement in uh, in the public discussion, sure. but. You shouldn't be arguing this. Right. Yeah. Like th- this is not something. But again, y- you're you're you you know that that's not right. true. Yeah. And so you're uh, anyway. You're saying yeah. on on your worldview, uh, that is to say, on the secularist worldview, there's just nothing to ground. Yeah. Your objection. There's nothing to ground your objection because your whole worldview is is predicated on survival of the fittest. Yeah. These people are surviving. Yeah. <laughs> these or people are and these people or are values have been determined culture. by yeah. the group so the group determines values so the grounding of morality to the atheist would be because the group has determined this is right and this is wrong yeah but now that's being fought against even that's subjective so that yeah that's right and now we have a problem and on the flip well, side well, you're right if i could just pause on that for a second th- you're, you're exactly right if it's just the herd mentality mm-hmm. which is what neo-darwinism is you know, the, the, the neo-Darwinist story is that, uh, as Daniel was saying, is as a result of purely natural and undirected processes, we've evolved whatever we've evolved. Now, we wouldn't want to deny that there have been some levels of evolution 
that have taken place within the human species, within every species. Of course that's true. E every creationist believes that. Mm -hmm. But what we're saying is, this is what we're saying. You are not just the product of sociobiological evolutionary processes. Mm -hmm. And therefore, um, there's no reason for you to think that your morality is greater than a shark's morality. The, the, the examples that William Lane Craig gives would be <laughs> when a shark forcibly copulates with another shark, hmm. he's not raping the shark. <clears throat> he's just being an animal. Yeah. When, when a lion kills a wildebeest uh, in the Serengeti, he's not, he's not committing murder. Hmm. He's just being an animal. So, so how, on your view, can yeah. you justify claiming that, you, that as an animal, you have a higher... Uh, yeah. You have, an you have a higher moral standard yeah. than any other animal. On yeah. your worldview, there's just nothing to ground it other than the herd. But what if the herd changes their mind? What if, That's yeah. what the if big the herd thing. in Nazi Germany thinks that we should exterminate The argument from there is the greater right Western herd overpowered the breakaway herd. And so it was right to subdue them and declare that evil because our herd was greater. But even the herd mentality is being demonized now. Mm -hmm. That's the whole concept of social. If it's a social, social construct, yeah. struct, it should be deconstructed. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So and, and that's what they're pushing back on. Right. Because they believe in that herd. mentality. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. They're saying what is objectively morally binding is whatever the group has decided is morally objectively binding objectively binding which is confirmed by a biology and that herd mentality is always changing it's a living herd so to speak so in a hundred years if the herd were to flip we have every right then to consider your points and views as anathema just like you're doing today that for what's happened that's in the what past. daniel was saying mm -hmm. daniel was saying it's it historical snobbery yes what do you his, do? his, his you other chronological book snobbery. chronological yeah. snobbery. The, the triumph of the modern self that was lewis not me yeah, okay. right okay so the triumph of the modern self is just that these folks politically, in terms of their activism, they're triumphing. So while yeah. you're pushing back on it, even yeah. though you, t you have a godless worldview, you have to understand, if your worldview is survival of the fittest, they're yeah. triumphing. Yeah. <laughs> so why would you push back on yeah. it? It doesn't you, make any sense. You originally asked about culpability, and I think all of us are hitting on that they are culpable for different reasons. It feels like, in some ways, when you take that evolutionary worldview, you have to kind of be asking, like, you know, it feels like they're these atheists, these people we're quoting, are looking at the whole movement and be like, no, you're, you're, you're going too far. But really, in evolution, is there an end to it? You <laughs> know what I mean? Like, there's that's not. No. So that's one point. And then the other point is, is just positively, like, why would anybody from that movement be swayed by their evolutionary arguments? Right. Ultimately, we have to remember as Christians, like, we have a greater positive answer. Right. We have a full-fledged yeah. answer that addresses all of these things rather than just saying, you need to behave according to your biology. You need to behave according to X, Y, Z. We have a full-fledged answer that it speaks to every single and problem. And we're annoyed by your your woke activism, yeah, so exactly. knock it off. It's yeah. like that's that doesn't ground anything yeah. in anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. they I would mean, be annoyed by Christian evangelism too. Ex right? Exactly, we're annoyed for, by. Yeah. Yeah. You're exactly right, Ryan. Well, Ryan brings up a good point, and I think we should transition into this, uh, and, and we'll get into this more as we get into each chapter. But what do we do with this? What does the Christian hmm. now do with this? Uh, James, you brought this up earlier. We're to have a positive, redemptive response. What's the positive redemptive response? What what I what think the first thing with are, knowledge. Are we, are, does all this, should all this just make us angry? No, it should make us mm. compassionate. <laughs> mm. <laughs> right. I mean, ultimately, when I read this book and saw the genealogy of thought that led to it, I see people enslaved and beholden to a thought process that they didn't choose. Right. It builds compassion. Now, of course, I get frustrated or annoyed. How can you believe that or say that? Mm. But 
in totality for the culture, I think I see it with Christ's heart and mind. I have compassion. My heart breaks for these people enslaved Dude, to them. Jesus, Jesus yeah. had compassion right. because they were sheep without a shepherd. And so you have all these sheep. I'm supposed to be shepherding myself. Yeah, that's I'm right. supposed to be. Uh, so, yeah, I think you're right. I think the, the response is, should be compassion first. Right. Because mm-hmm. they're trapped. How can you get out of it? We know that living unto self leads to destruction, yeah. corruption of soul depression like you're describing yeah with the affluence that surrounds us people are grasping swimming but drowning yeah man you guys are right and i think, I think that's the yeah. right instinct i think and i think compassion is great i completely agree i we need to have hearts that are grieved over the the lost just like we were apart from god's grace um but not into there of course you know like right. it takes discipleship it takes speech mm-hmm. how Absolutely. are they here without those who preach how you know all of us teaching evangelism there's Many, many ways to address it, but um, ultimately coming back to Truman's quote on 29, the messiness of sin is going to take a lot of different angles in communication Mm -hmm. um, and teaching. Confessionalism, too. Yeah, you're right. Because compassion can lead us to just merely accepting it so that we can feel good and not have the contention. Yeah. I think compassion requires contention. We're Mm -hmm. still going to be contentious in this age of this world. You have to be tethered to God, just revelation, all the above. So, well, it is. Uh, to that point, you know, the Great Commission is not, as Ryan is so fond of pointing out, is not to go and make decisions for Christ. You know, like it's not to get people who make decisions for Christ. It's to make disciples of Jesus, right? Yeah. And and so part of making disciples of Jesus is the decision process where a person is baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but it's also teaching them to obey all I've commanded. Mm-hmm. And if you asked a person in the culture today, just cold, <coughs> and you just walked up to him and said, hey, who do you obey? Hmm. What would they say? Myself. Me. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Myself. My and After my the, what are you talking about? Eventually, yeah. you're like, yeah, yes, that's myself. Right. But, but that is part of the Christian message of the gospel and discipleship. It is teaching people to become obedient to the teachings of Jesus, it's the way of Jesus, and that is inherently, well, as you say, I think there's that's a an step offense. before that almost. If you ask that question, it, they may say themselves thinking that they are autonomous, but they're really not. They're currently serving something or someone yes, else. Of course, mm-hmm. and so it's exposing. You already serve someone, Bob Dylan. You're going to serve the devil or serve the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. Ooh, nice I, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I think that there's a reality in exposure there. Who is Bob Dylan? Yeah. Yeah. Ryan might visit the hospital. <laughs> a little bit. Um, I think I think I think that's part of it. But so, uh, as you're talking about the Great Commission, that's proper activism, right? Like that oh, that yeah. is a that is biblical activism there. Um, but yes, that's right. I think intentionality is really important because the the ones who formulated these ideas and the ones who have injected them into culture were incredibly intentional in in mm-hmm. their in their thinking, in their planning, in their execution of of, of that plan. Uh, and so I think that there needs to be intentionality on the part of the Christian right. to be first and foremost have a robust understanding of the gospel mm-hmm. and the scriptures, have a robust like confirmation of the of their life to those things as well. And then have a robust intellectual uh engagement with what is happening around them and not yeah. just swim in the water and not assume that you're going to get wet by it. Amen. Almost something like all of yes, Christ for all of life. All of Christ for all of life. <laughs> oh, yeah. Dougie Wilson. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's right about that. Um, so 
Uh, yes and amen to all that, but let me ask you, where does spiritual warfare play uh, a role in your analysis? Like, w- yes, we want to be intellectually engaged, and maybe this is spiritual warfare. We want to be in- intellectually engaged. We want to be biblical activists. We want to advocate for a biblical worldview and, and all of that. But what about, what about prayer? What about the pulling down of strongholds? What about stuff like that in Ephesians 6 mm-hmm. where we're to stand firm, you know, after having done everything to stand, stand, yeah. right? And then take your stand against the spiritual forces in heavenly realms. What, where, where, where does that come in? Oh, see. Go for it, James. <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm I've got the yeah. answer. Yeah, <laughs> Go ahead, James. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> uh, where does where does the I, I don't know if I quite understand the question fully, Jeff. Um, Ephesians six. Yeah, I mean, take your stand. Absolutely. I mean, you put on the armor of God. Yeah. Um, and the thing we need to protect against is not allowing expressive individualism to infiltrate disciple making. For disciple making is the work of the local church. <coughs> yes, Christians are involved individually in that, but we need to remember that we are part of the church. Uh, and and that's part of the solution there is um, as we address this issue is we the church is the solution um, as we mm-hmm. live out the gospel Amen. as a gospel yeah. community and so when it comes to spiritual warfare I think um, part of that is prayer we minimize the work of prayer um, and we think of it you as mean we an currently do mm-hmm. I think I think yeah. as at large among Christians we, we just we swam it. in modernist waters for so long yeah <laughs> materialist waters for so long yeah right, we think right. we can do it ourselves uh, when we can't we great, need the Lord great point um, but yeah man that is a very important point yeah I was just I mean you kind of s- hit on it earlier I was just going to say well yes we remember these rulers these principalities these demonic forces behind so much of this right um, well they are just pause there yeah. full stop um I think what I was getting at is we we are not just dealing with a, you know, Daniel said, a well-organized plan here. Yes, mm-hmm. it is. But there are these spiritual forces behind the scenes that are pulling the strings yeah. on this. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so what, what, yes, the local church is the hope of the world, I think, because we're the, we're the only ones with the gospel and we're the only community that— We're the pillar of the truth. Yes, mm-hmm. we're, we're the pillar, pillar of the truth. So, so what do we do about it? Do we shout into the darkness? Do we? Yeah, personally, I think hitting off what you said yesterday, the Lord gives different gifts yeah. to different people. Um, and so I think that there are some be, you know, not literally maybe shout maybe some people do that. I don't know. But there are some who will have more, <laughs> you know, preeminence or just vocality in regards to this. And there are other who would be doing this, fighting alongside of us with their day-by-day faithfulness and raising families and, you know what I mean, teaching their kids about these things and, a whole host of different things. So sometimes we can get this differentiation. In the context of the local church. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sometimes we can get this differentiation that we press too far between, you know, the spiritual um, and just the kind of the day-to-day life. So, yes, we want people engaged in spiritual disciplines and prayer uh, and communal living within the church. Um, but at the same time, they, they go and they work at jobs, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so they have to live as Christians there, too. And I think that's a way to combat combat these spiritual forces right you guys have nailed it i i think you're right on the right track in the context of the local church family raising up godly families what it what does paul say the armor is the Mm. armor is telling the truth yeah being prepared with the gospel 
having faith, trusting in the Lord. Yeah. I mean, these are things that don't feel very, they don't, they don't feel like they make us uh, very electrical demon chasing Christians, <laughs> you know, yeah. like yeah. there's not a lot of high voltage in it. But these, this is the way yeah. that God has designed the church yeah. to combat these forces is the Christian church living right. And then there's the sword of the spirit, yeah. which is the word of God which penetrates the darkness so is but, it simple but i would add to this yeah. there's all when we think of the armor of god it's almost looked in a very possessive sense yeah. but each one of those pieces of armor we are steward of there's something of god that he has given to us the helmet of salvation or the breastplate of righteousness the sword of the spirit those are his that we are being good stewards of which then goes to the gift the knowledge that he's given me the brain he's given me i'm still another yeah i'm still beholden to him and using these wisely yeah, I, think yeah. it's, I think it's encouraging that, people right. to see the day-to-day -day monotony of their lives as in regard to some spiritual warfare. So there's times, obviously, when Laura is wrung out from being a mom, right? Just like a whole host of moms in this church, and sometimes she needs encouragement. You know, am I really having an effect? And I'm like, yes. You know, I can't yeah. remember the exact chapter in Acts, but he has providentially placed you at this point in time that's in right. this yeah. place, right? So you're called a day-by-day day faithfulness, and that's having an effect but on God's kingdom. I think that, And I think that day-by-day day faithfulness, when... Paul instructs us to pray without ceasing, hmm. that we are to be constantly engaged intentionally. Yeah, mindfulness in, of what's in, happening. In, yeah. in what we're doing and hmm. including, in, not including the Lord, I, that's the wrong word, <laughs> oh. um, <laughs> aligning <laughs> ourselves <laughs> with, aligning <laughs> ourselves. Can I step off this <laughs> podcast for a while? <laughs> uh, with what the Lord is doing yeah. and asking and being intentional in that way of like, hey, this may seem mundane, but it's not. Yeah, This is spiritual warfare. And I need to Great be point. plugged yeah. into the source of, totally. of, of all spiritual power. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, to wrap it up here, great, great answers, guys. Uh, I want to ask the question. Uh, I think, how can the church, the local church, conducting spiritual warfare with the truth and all these wonderful, just normal things that God has put in the Christian life, address despair? Like when we're, we're addressing the despair on two levels one the despair i think that a christian can feel because we're inundated with this i i mean uh, uh, we're inundated with this moral insanity right we're surrounded by it yeah. our culture mm. is totally drinking the cup of this wrath to its dregs mm. right so how do we encourage the church to not despair god is still running the show mm. and two how do we address the despair of the people who are trapped, as, as Patrick said, they're enslaved to sin. How do we address their despair? Because they're not, I don't care what they say, they're not finding personal value and fulfillment in this. Mm -hmm. They are trapped in darkness. And it does produce a hopelessness for them. That's why they're killing themselves, and that's why the suicide and depression rates are so high. Mm -hmm. So how do we do those two things? Addressing the despair that can be within the church and that can be within the culture of the people who are who are trapped by this. I think when it comes to the to the church, I think it's Philippians two, that Christ has received the name above all names, yeah. that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that right. Jesus Christ is Lord. Yeah. That the authority and kingdom of God cannot be stopped, shaken, or yeah. thwarted. And That's he will right. accomplish his will and his purpose. Yeah. And so when we we do look at the world and it looks insane it's strange yeah we have confidence that nothing is out of god's plan 
that yep. everything is go to, going according to his plan. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that enough. he is sovereign over all. And I think that's where we have to put our confidence in. Um, Amen. Yeah. Colossians one twenty seven. God mm. wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Mm. So, but I think that is our repetition mm. and meditation. Yeah. Christ in me, the hope of glory. Mm. Great Christ passages. in me, the hope Two of glory. Two great passages. Yeah. I was just gonna, I don't know, we're all quoting scripture here, but that's <laughs> the point. Uh, yeah. I was going to talk about Revelation, what we see at the end, right? Oh, uh, exactly. And Christ yeah. returning. But even just the ones who are. So what would you like to know? Yes. No, <laughs> plug for Jeff's class <laughs> resuming in 2024. <laughs> um, so the, you have those big picture ideas that the Lord wins in the end, but the ones, obviously Matthew 6, the ones who are just struggling day to day. Oh, you know, yeah. Why do you worry? Why are you anxious? You know? Oh, yeah. And that should point you to uh, the sovereignty of God. Right on. Mm-hmm. So well, even the, the blessing that we do at the end of services right now, mm-hmm. well, that's a prayer that you would be what? Strengthened in your inner being. Yeah. Amen. Right, that your 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 the despair would be lifted, and your 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 shaking knees would be you know firmed up, and and uh, that's right. And what's that? What's that? Because of being rooted and grounded in the knowledge of the love of God. Yeah, you know, and uh, so I think the off. Oftentimes, we say that the gospel is that God loves you. Right, like sometimes that, that's what we truncate it all down to, and I don't think that that's right. But I also think <laughs> that there is a tremendous freedom and a tremendous amount of of despair can be lifted by coming into a deeper knowledge of God's love for yeah. you. Right on, right on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Excellent, Josh. Yeah, um, I was I was thinking back um on the comment that Daniel made earlier um about the power struggle that was created in marriage um after the fall. And I was thinking the same thing has happened in the marriage relationship between Christ and his bread or Christ and the church. Um, and that now the way to point people to happiness um, or to a harmonious um, relationship again is to point away from the authentic self and towards the true self, um, towards how God has commanded us to live. Yeah, mm. right on. And I think that will really help them to, that will cure people of their sense of despair. What about the culture? What about their despair? What about their misery? Yeah. Because sin just makes us, we become sin sick. Yeah. And it makes us miserable. And, it, and it's, there, there's this idea here that <laughs> sinners are on a treadmill that they cannot get off. Like they're on one of those little, <laughs> those little uh, mice wheels that they yeah. can't get off. And it's exhausting to try to carry all this, mm-hmm. right? It's exhausting making the arguments. It's exhausting constantly fighting the fight or constantly trying to convince people that you are this thing that you don't appear to be. That's exhausting, mm-hmm. right? And so sin brings no rest. The Old Testament word is Shabbat, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's this idea of Sabbath rest. How does the offer of salvation then give them an offer of rest from carrying the burden of their sin? Um, mm-hmm. And how can that be an appeal to the affections? Come to me, all you who are weary. I was about to say, like <laughs> <laughs> and I will give you rest. For my yoke yeah. is easy, my burden is light. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's ultimately what he's describing. The main burden of all things is sin. How does someone come to recognize that? I think it comes through someone who has rest. Yes. And what I mean by that is friendship. Our our big result of compassion should lead us to friendship with yeah. the world. That not not with the world. Not, not in the James <laughs> yeah. Forest. You would, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but to invite. Yeah. <laughs> to be friends with people in the world. 
I knew not to say it. I, I knew where you were going. I'm like, don't say friendship with the world. And of course, I said, friendship with the world. I'm sorry. It's still not as bad as who gets this man to be with this woman. I always say the wrong thing I say not to say. Like, dang it, prayer. Dude, I think some of it, some of it is. We can't. We're not recovering from this, Daniel. I'm just kidding. No, I was Go ahead. I think some. I think some of it is being being all things to all people, like Paul. Paul. Uh, went into you know <coughs> Ephesus and did what he did you know there he, he you know uh, addressed the the people on Mars Hill kind of according to their own thing like us being culturally savvy is not antithetical to the yeah. to to the right. gospel and so and so doing that in a way uh, where you can actually address people's uh, kind of some of their some of their deepest questions um, and you know. Most people aren't at, most people aren't asking whether or not God exists. They, you know, that's not the questions that they're asking. And so, being culturally savvy enough to go, hey, what question are they seeking an answer to? What's that rooted in? How can I, you know, lead them to that thing? Um, but, but also being able to 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 recognize, like, yeah, you do. There, there is some legitimacy to the inner self, like people being aware that they are not what they should be. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. That that's something that's that's Great written point. into us as uh, right, and so um, being able to affirm that yeah, in there's somebody, there's a tension there that should be there. Yeah, so being able to affirm that in somebody and say, but the answer is not the embrace of whatever comes into your. But what mind form does that heart. actually come in? And what I mean by that is, we we can sit right here and say, I have this question, and I can say this statement, but it usually comes in different forms. It comes through um, someone experiencing a death, and they're going to a funeral. And so how can you actualize and, bring and prick their soul a little bit? Does that make sense, what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. Like it, we, we come up with the ethereal statement and this <coughs> ethereal well, idea. Well, I, I, I think your, your idea, though, of um, – because Daniel is addressing content yeah. and <coughs> what is and, and what ought to be. But your idea of how to where we're, we have friends who are in the world, secular friends or friends who are part of this postmodern culture <coughs> – and they can see that our life aligns with our values. Mm-hmm. So if they know that our values are not theirs, but they can see, hey, we're, we're at rest. Yeah, it's kind of like what the what the 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 heterosexual monogamous person never ever has to worry about sexually transmitted diseases. It's just not a burden I carry, mm-hmm. and it's not a burden I carry. I'm at rest. I don't worry about waking up tomorrow with HIV. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, and and so the whole idea here is I'm at rest because the value system I live according to is compatible, not just compatible, but it actually <coughs> is confirmed by my biological choices, right? Yeah. Uh, the yeah, choices that I'm going. making with yeah. my body. Yeah. So it's just sort of living out the value system of the gospel. And by the way, the gospel comes with a value system. It's not just a message, but it comes with a value system that yeah, Christians live according to. Uh, and I think I think in that way we we help people to see what they're missing. Yeah. We help them to see what they're missing. Let me ask you this. Um, how does being a good Protestant in this environment, uh, what is the utility of being a good Protestant in this environment? What does that mean? What does that word mean? <laughs> to protest. And, well, it does. Yeah. And And, and so how should we it's a great question think about the culture protest? as protestants as reformed people who are always looking to be reformed ourselves yeah. into the image of christ um 
reformed and always reforming, right? And then also protesting a culture that seems to be thoroughly, thoroughly gangrene and corrupt yeah. with sin. Uh, any thoughts on that? Okay, next question. <laughs> um, no, I really like it. I'm, I'm, uh, what I'm wrestling with is protesting is not singular. I think just like the gifts, it's varied. And so how do we protest against this culture? Right. Yeah. I think some people protest by like, well, Daniel, you see the, the unlovables. I think your gift as the priest of this community right now, you see people who are on the outside and you have com- instant compassion. You're going to give them as much space and as time. They're the most important people in that moment to you. You and Kristen both do that. So I think that's one way to protest because we live in a day and age or culture of self-actualization. They don't have time for someone else because I'm too worried about actualizing myself. Right. So that's one way. I see you guys doing that. I mean, having people over. I do think there's others who need to stand up like William Lane Craig and give a, or Carl Truman. Yeah. And give an, an intellectual defense for this. An intellectual yeah. defense of of the rationally defensible. Yeah. yeah. That's good. I mean, what are some others? That, that's yeah, what I was, I was thinking. Say, so I think you'll, you know, we do have a closet theonomist at the table, so I think you'll have a whole stream of uh, <laughs> answers about culture and Protestantism <laughs> within. <laughs> <closet> <laughs> yeah. well. I don't think. I've almost converted Rome. Dr. Willem, he's not telling the truth. Uh, no, I would just say, when, when I think of Protestantism, when I think of the uh, Protestant Reformation, what, what in some ways we're protesting is what we've already been talking about. The Lord King Jesus has come, right? And so in him is where you actually find your, your true answer, your true self, uh, that you truly do have justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, because of what he's done for you. Um, Amen. And so that is... <coughs> that is antithetical to anything that you'll hear we swim in the culture particularly in the west of i can do it my way and and i can earn things and i'm a better person i've done more good than bad and so part of i think a huge you know he said patrick mentioned different ways god loves me so unconditionally yeah that he'll just accept whatever i think yeah part Mm -hmm. of being protestant part of protesting that is saying no there's one way to salvation and when you have to talk about the exclusivity of christ and uh, and be bold in that and one thing i want to tie That's in great. earlier whenever you're talking about what you know what do we do how do we reach these people i think hospitality yes i think having compassion yes um, but i think remembering that christ is building his church and the lord's in charge of salvation and we're mm-hmm. called to be faithful and when you recognize that in your evangelism that it doesn't depend on how you present things that the spirit can still apply to yes we all want to grow in our evangelism learn different ways um but the Lord is the one doing the work in the heart. Yeah, so you and bring so up a really important point that I think is so important. Is a word like justification. So I was a seeker-friendly church pastor, associate pastor, and pastor for about 22 years. And those are the kinds of words you, av- you avoid mm. in the seeker-sensitive movement, you know. Mm-hmm. And I have since, for those of you watching, I have since repented of my sin. But you avoid that kind of language. And you avoid, especially in a sermon on Sunday morning mm. because that's just Christianese. That's just kind of theological talk. That's yeah. something you learn in a class. But can the word, uh, can a word like justification be used in evangelism? Can we help a sinner to understand what it means to be justified in the law court mm-hmm. of God? Yes, yes. Before the bar See. of his justice, and that sin is an attempt to justify ourselves before mm-hmm. God, yeah, like right. is is explaining a concept like that, a theological concept, useful in evangelism, or should we just keep that in Pat's classes? No, absolutely, <coughs> both and. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which I mean, personal evangelism, of course, it applies. I mean, 
if we were to get at the root of expressive individualism, someone looking within to try to, they're trying to justify their existence by looking within themselves to say, I'm going to be true to myself. In a sense, they're trying to be right before their God, which is themselves. Yeah, you're right. And we should be proclaiming to them, you are, uh, you are condemned before God because of your sin. Right. But praise God, the King has come, yeah. and yeah. He has the authority I mean, to forgive sins. The yeah. gospel is a message of love, but it's also mm-hmm. offensive. Absolutely, it's it's a loving message that offends people. Yeah, and that's okay. I think, and I think if Christians embrace a, a concept of warfare, not in the way that the world does it, not in the way that the culture does it. Um, but a you know a concept that worship is warfare, like living a, a life of worship, whether that's yeah. when we gather on Sunday morning, whether you guys are through Saturday, that it's actual warfare that we're engaged in war because it's you know the word says that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, like he came yeah. his and and so his his people are to be engaged in that as well and. and Great point. Uh, Anyway, sorry, but justification, yes, totally, you can use it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're done. Next uh, week, we're let's doing cover. Chapter one. We should tell people to read one. along, get a book. Read yeah, it. it's good. Yeah, Absolutely. so if you're listening along, get the book, Strange New World, How Thinkers and Activists Redefined Identity and Sparked the Sexual Revolution. So uh, by Carl R. Truman. And get this book. We're going to be doing chapter one, and we'll drill down a little bit more uh, in that first chapter. Chapter, chapter two. two. What? We essentially did chapter one. We, b- we covered chapter let's one. Let's do chapter that. two. <laughs> romantic <laughs> Roots. Oh, the yeah. Romantic Roots. Great chapter. Uh, let's do chapter two, uh, Romantic Russo. Roots. Excellent discussion. This will be a little bit more of an exploration of the sort of intellectual history of this. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we'll mm. touch more on that next week. All right. Great. Right on. Thanks, guys. Great to see you. Thank Bye-bye. You guys.